You're listening to Accounted For, the Canadian podcast that explores the intangibles of every career. I'm your host, Daniel Lee. Hi everyone, this is your host Daniel Lee here and I wanted to give you some background on the actual podcast. So I really like asking people what they do and I've had jobs as a public accountant, a management consultant and lately as a public equities investor and in getting these roles I had to speak to a lot of people who were already doing what I wanted to do. And it turned out that what the media and industry stereotypes say about the role is not at all accurate to what you actually do. And it was no, this was not to mention that most assumptions people set about uh, a certain individual's journey into that career field was also wrong. Um, this was because it's never as linear as people think it is. It's never as simple as you do A, then you go to B, and then you will get to do C. It's actually much more complicated that, than that, and that's what I realized after having spoken to over 80 different people to learn about what they did. And something I found out was that a lot of my friends had not learned this yet. Some eventually would because they have already started reaching out to people to actually learn about what they did but I also knew that many wouldn't because cold calling people really frightened them and that's completely understandable it still scares me too but I also am always extremely curious about what other people do and I love hearing about their stories so I figured maybe I can help them out with this podcast and just document what I would normally be talking about with other people. And so that's what this podcast is about. It's me finding people with career journeys that I find interesting and or they have roles that I would like to learn more about. And so I really do hope that I can add value to you in that sense as I go about selfishly using this podcast to learn more about other people and fulfill my own curiosity. So yeah, there you have it. And so for today, our guest will be Ian Wang. Ian is a good old friend of mine that I knew since university and he's currently the operations and logistics manager at Uber Eats and he will be the marketing lead for the Vancouver operation. And this was a very fascinating conversation. I knew Ian for multiple years, but I had no idea about um, the kind of journey he went through with his first startup after he had left KPMG. And it was really fascinating to hear about how he ended up meeting his co-founder after he visited his friends who were doing PhDs 
in MIT and Harvard, and they connected him to what would be his co-founders for his startup. And then it turned out that his career background with uh, eatery startup with previous roles at KPMG and transportation and logistics would actually be a great match for Uber Eats, which is a food delivery company. So that's that was a very fascinating story, and I really do hope that you guys get a lot of benefit out of his journey as an auditor all the way through navigating to different realms and finally going into his role in the tech world. All right. Thanks, Ian, for joining me for this podcast interview. So everyone, we're joined by Ian Wang. He is a market lead for Vancouver at Uber Eats, and he's currently in the Toronto office. So Ian, you know, um, just to give Ian's background, for those who don't know, um, he's, we go way back together in terms of we both went to the University of Waterloo, went to the accounting program there. Uh, then we both started our careers at KPMG and Audit. And one thing though, I think, takes it even further back together is that we both, I think, grew up in Vancouver prior to university. So, you know, taking us kind of back there, uh, how would you describe your childhood? Did it begin in Vancouver? Uh, no, well, first of all, th- thanks for having me on this uh, podcast, Daniel. Um, I, no, I was born in Beijing, actually, and I moved to Vancouver when I was uh, very young at the age of six. So I grew up in Vancouver, um, Vancouver proper for elementary school and, uh, and, and Burnaby later for, for high school. So, yeah, most of my high, uh, childhood spent in um, British Columbia. It's, uh, I thought it was, it, I mean, great, great place to grow up, uh, the West Coast, best coast, right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, in terms of childhood, I would, I would say... Um, um, you know, I grew up as a pretty, like, uh, uh, intellectually curious kid. Loved to uh, just explore, read, um, build things. I remember being super young and just collecting uh, random materials, like whether it's wood, cardboard, or whatever, and just, uh, um, you know, finding time, putting things together, building, you know, cars or, or castles or something like that. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm just sort of a build builder from a, from a young age. Okay, so given that... Um what, what did you want to be when you were young? You know, like when you go to school and stuff, the teachers ask, hey, you know, what, what do you want to be? And like you draw sketches of what you want to be growing up. What ideas did you have then? Yeah, honestly, uh, didn't, didn't, uh, didn't have a good sense of what I wanted to be. I think um, in school, mostly you sort of focus on the sciences, you know, mm. biology, chemistry, physics, took them all. Um, I found physics super, super interesting. I remember going to like physics Olympics and uh, you know, having a blast there. Really, we, we built a built a submarine that could submerge below water, uh, pick up things from the bottom of the uh, bo- from the bottom surface, and then bring it back up top. Mm. So I had a lot of fun in those fields. And um, I mean, in terms of career uh, into like accounting and finance, that was really later on, um, like grade eleven, grade twelve, where I made that decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you know, given that kind of past, like if if you know, when I look at your uh, LinkedIn profile, for example, it's the profile kind of goes. An audit after audit you did some financial advisory so we got that accounting finance mix and then there's like a bit of a switch there where now i see that you started a food startup company and mm-hmm. then now you're at uber yeah. um so like how how did that kind of transition happen for you for like you know you were this kid that loved building and stuff why go into accounting uh yeah so honestly it was a it was a case competition i think i did in grade 11 or 12 i can't remember which year um, we did a, 
the, the CMA uh, came to our high school and said, hey, we're, we're holding a case competition. Oh. Um, would, would anyone like to join? So oh. myself and uh, a couple of my friends, so we, yeah, we decided to join. The question was, um, oh shoot, I can't remember exactly what the question was, but it was around Facebook. Yeah. And, oh, you know what it was? It was uh, I think the question was, should Facebook go through an IPO? And this is pre-Facebook IPO, right? Um, and and uh, the CMA pillars at that time was strategy, management, and accounting, right? So uh, so we really bought into that, and and we 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 went to the case competition. I think we we won first or second place, something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. And we thought, man, this is really cool, yeah. right? Like we uh, uh, presenting on whether Facebook should go through an IPO or not. Uh-huh. Um, and that really yeah changed changed our sort of like my mindset from like sciences to business. I thought this is a really cool field, and and the topics that we discuss here is really really interesting, right? Uh-huh. Um, and I think that's basically how I chose my university uh, major. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. So I'm not I, sure that really materializes in a C, what a CMA actually does, but uh, that's definitely at least what the case, case competition showcased. Yeah, I think, and you know, I think now, um, so, so for some of the listeners that wouldn't know, the CMA is one of the accounting designation bodies, but they don't exist anymore. I guess right. we've all kind of merged into the whole CPA body now. There's like the legacy people that remain. Okay, so you know, you, you had this ideal thought and. Definitely, I think from our audit days, I can attest that we rarely do strategy overviews on right. potential IPOs. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so you, now you you go to audit, you spend all your co-op terms there, and I think you stayed until like you were a senior, um, and then you made the switch. So take me through that process. Like, what, what was that stuff? Like, why did you go into infrastructure? Was that tying back to like the building roots now where you wanted to go back to building things <laughs> uh i wish I don't, I don't think it was that uh, that structure in terms of thinking but uh i i think uh, yeah a few years in audit uh i left as a senior while during sort of my auditing days i was in the financial institutions group uh so focused on like sort of banks funds uh stock changes and things like that um i thought that uh that whole sort of um background gave gave me a lot of good understanding of you know how just how how businesses work, right? Mm. Um, studying accounting, the, the language of, of business, right? Getting mm-hmm. a really strong fundamental understanding of that. Um, and being a senior there had sort of given me the opportunity to lead teams as well, right? Because for these bank teams, they're fairly, fairly, fairly large. Mm-hmm. Um, so sort of pe- people management skills there. Um, after a few years of that, I really wanted to, you know, like move away from, I, I knew I didn't want to be a partner at an accounting firm, right? So, mm-hmm. um, so I mean, if we stayed in audit, that's sort of the path that you're, you're, you're pursuing, right? Yep. So um, I wanted to move, uh, branch out a little bit. And I think the path of least resistance at that time in terms of how do we move closer to the consulting or, or, or finance world is uh, to transfer within the firm to a you know, financial advisory practice, right? Mm. Um, and, and in this case, it was sort of infrastructure advisory. Um, the I, well, one of the one of the reasons we, we went over there was we had a well I, I had a, a senior from my previous group that went over there and uh, he sort of I guess sent me recruited me uh, to, to the team um, and then sitting down with all the team members and chatting about what the group actually does I thought this is, hey this is really really cool stuff right and we're mm-hmm. dealing with very very tangible assets here mm-hmm, compared mm-hmm. to the finan- uh, the the banking world where we uh, we dealt with in very intangible things, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that this would be a great place to sort of develop some core core skill sets, right? Modeling, hardcore modeling, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, not sort of just simple simple modeling, mm-hmm. um, which I thought was like sort of a, a sort of invaluable skill moving forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think when back in my consulting days, I was doing um, uh, greenfield modeling, where you know, greenfield practically like I'm sure you're familiar with Ian was 
nothing's there. Now the client wants to install solar panels. And so yeah. now we've been like, I remember the modeling got so nitty gritty where we'd go down to modeling out um, wind speed for wind turbines, solar radiation for throughout the day, yeah. timing it and trying to forecast how much sun rays we're going to get to run these solar yeah. panels. Yeah, hundred percent. It's it's combining the real world uh, to the to the finance world, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm. And so from there, I I think um, some of my friends who've done infrastructure side, they end up from that advisory role is kind of like you're like an investment banker mm-hmm. and moving towards kind of all right, let's go be like a buy side firm now going to private equity. Mm-hmm. Now we're gonna straight up buy out these highways and solar panels. Um, did you think about that? Uh, no, no. So we weren't in the. So I, I personally uh, wasn't in the investment side of the the team. Mm. I was more on the, um, I guess what we would call the development side of the team. Okay. Which is essentially looking at okay, um, a country somewhere, and then the Caribbean wants to build a new hospital, mm-hmm. right? Um, cool. Let's let's look at that, right? Like mm. let's let's do the master planning for that. Does that make sense, mm-hmm. right? How big should this hospital be? Where should it be located? Mm. Um, how much is it going to cost? How long is it going to take? Mm. Um, what uh, what sort of investors investors should we would we need, right? Equity investors, uh, debt investors. Uh, what would the payback period be? What would the the rate of return be for these individuals, right? Right. Um, that sort of whole planning process was, oh, is what okay. I focused on. Oh, okay. Was that a choice that you made? Um, it, Stumbled into it, I think. Yeah. I mean, I grouped it both. Uh, yeah. This is sort of where I started. Yeah. And uh, I really enjoyed my time there, so, so I stayed in that practice. Okay. Yeah. And after that, now we have you know, something I think back when you told me about it, I was very surprised by it. But at the same time, I think it was really cool to hear where you said, all right, now I'm going to leave and I'm going to start a food startup mm-hmm. company. And mm-hmm. the company was called Chop Chop. I remember I, was, I definitely was participating in the beta when you launched it. Right. And for some of the people that don't know, how would you explain uh, the business? Right, uh, man, I haven't had to explain it for a long time, so. Um, <laughs> Probably not since your interview days, right? Yeah, exactly, so I mean, so uh, um, I think back then I called, we called it uh, dynamic pricing for, oh, okay. for, for restaurants. Okay. Right, where the concept is really trying to get, um, get restaurants to employ, it will deploy dynamic pricing to try to draw traffic during mm-hmm. Uh, off-peak hours, right? Mm-hmm. So this is like pre-lunch yeah. or after lunch, pre-dinner, mm-hmm. right? These are hours, you know, like, I mean, in, in many sort of Western uh, parts of the world, we have the concept called happy hour, right? Mm-hmm. In Canada, it's not as sort of big as in the States where mm-hmm. uh, where, where they have a lot more prevalent happy hours. Mm-hmm. Um, we were, well, yeah, we were essentially trying to just generate more traffic for, for restaurants, right? Mm-hmm. And using our app and technology to be able to, to help uh, eaters uh, find where these locations are and to really take advantage of some of these price price cuts. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, I know that. And, you know, I think I, I really appreciated that app because for me, um, I, I eat at least like six times a day. I'll mm-hmm. typically have two lunches. And so, yeah, definitely hitting the happy, happy hour times, finding what was available. That was, honestly, I found it really helpful. So yeah. I think uh, when I saw that disappear, it was a bit of a shame. Um, but before, you know, when you were you know, taking me back to when you were actually at KPMG, you were still in infrastructure. Um, how did this start? Like, how did this idea begin? Like, and what was the beginning process like to create this application? Yeah, I, th- I think the the, pro- the process um, and the need for it really came from like a personal need and, and from a need from um, just um, many of my colleagues. Right, uh, I remember back in KPMG at lunch. I mean at 11.55 or at noon, 
we would all say, hey, what do you want to eat today? Mm. I don't know. What do you want to eat today, right? Mm. Like, I mean, we, we, we've, we've tried everything in the food courts already, and there really wasn't <laughs> much sort of differentiation that, like, there was no really huge value prop to drive us one way or the other, right? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, in, in our heads, like, okay, if we knew that, let's say, this uh, restaurant had, like, a promo on Tuesday, we'll probably go there, right? Mm. And this other restaurant had a Wednesday promo, we'll probably go there, mm-hmm. right? Um, I mean, if you think about it, like, Toonie Tuesdays work. Right, like right. that's why they they drive a lot of traffic through Tuesdays, right? Yeah. Promotions and price is a huge value proposition, and, and really sort of drives consumer behavior. So um, we thought, okay, cool. What if we? Well, like right now, we don't know where all these like like uh, um, promos are, right? Where these levers are being pulled. So what if we could sort of um, really get rid of that information asymmetry mm-hmm. and give that information to, to the sort of masses, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that we can actually drive traffic left or right mm-hmm. um, during that critical time of sort of what do I want to eat right. and where do I want to eat decision-making. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, you, you're an accountant and I'm an accountant, so I don't have any coding background. And from what I know, you're, you're not a coder either. Mm-hmm. So how, how did you actually create the product? Um, getting it from, you know, first the idea not to actual inception. Um, did you hire people outside or? Yeah, so um, so no, so uh, no, we didn't hire it. Well, I mean, sorry, yeah, we, we, we brought on like co-founder. I brought on co-founders, right? Oh, okay. Um, crazy story how we found these individuals. One is, um, uh, uh, so, uh, so I, I, was, I was out in Boston uh, visiting a friend. Yeah. Oh, a couple, couple of friends actually. Uh, um, they're finishing up their PhDs. Well, they're twins, identical twins. Uh, one at PhD at uh, uh, MIT. The other one's finishing up his PhD at uh, um, Harvard. Of course. Yeah, of course, right? Um, so the crazy story is actually how I decided to go visit them. Was, I was at the um, the Pan Am Games uh, here okay. in Toronto, right? right yeah. And there's a, there's a board like a like a porter uh, airplane board, right? Right. You, st- the, you throw a dart at the board, uh-huh. and if you hit one of the cities. Um, your, 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 your name is put into sort of a draw, right? Yeah. Obviously not that many people hit the city, so yeah. I hit it, and then, uh, yeah, and then I, I drew a free pair of uh, tickets to anywhere that Porter flew. Oh. So, and then, I mean, Porter doesn't fl- fly uh, to that many places, right? Yeah, yeah. So I was just looking at the map, okay, cool, where haven't I been before, uh, haven't been for a while, and like, where I have friends to go visit, right? So Boston was one of those places. So oh. I said, hey, I'm come for over for a weekend, right? So I met, mm. so met up with them, uh, caught up with them, and, uh, telling them about this idea at that time and they said oh uh, cool we have a uh, uh, like a undergrad friend who's at Microsoft and he I think just left Microsoft like he wants to do something he's not really sure and he just kind of um, hang out right now right hmm. I think he let's let's connect it to you guys and, and start chatting so so we were, we got connected and yeah he was super pumped about this idea and hmm. uh, at that time he was in Vancouver and he flew over to uh, uh, Toronto um, for for like six months, like got rent for six months, and uh, we just started building this thing. Um, and one of our other co-founders, I was in this program called Founders Institute, uh, which is sort of a mini um, like accelerator for 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 startups. Oh, okay. And uh, during that time, there one of our other co-founders was working on a different startup, like a legal startup. Um, but he heard about my idea, and he really really wanted to join, uh, participate in this one. So the three of us became sort of the first uh, the co-founders. Oh, okay. And so, um, you know, you, you have your you know, tech personnel, you, you have your other co-founder, and did you guys all apply to become part of the accelerator together with just the idea? Or how, uh, how was that process like? Yeah, yeah. So um, I actually applied for uh, myself 
through that program. Oh. And then Al, our other co-founder, also did it uh, through his startup. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, so we, we, we joined together, but uh, midway he wanted to switch over and he wanted to hop on board. Oh, okay. And did you need to present a kind of MVP for it, or how did that work? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, application process, yeah, you needed to like describe what, like, what you were working on and stuff. I, oh, okay. You, I think you had to at least have a couple ideas before I, I believe yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah um and then it's like a 12-week program i believe and every single week you work on a different sort of uh, aspect of the, of the startup let's say uh, uh, uh building the mvp right market validation mm-hmm. and marketing investing all that sort of stuff like mm-hmm. you do, i mean they just focus on it it doesn't mean you need to like focus on like well yeah you need to work on it during that uh, week as well but mm-hmm. honestly you don't need to finish it or anything like that right right and after that the pro that that um, whole process uh, there's checkpoints in, in the middle where they would go through I, I can't remember what they're called but they would sort of review your project and review your presentation and pitch and um, if you didn't pass for some reason um, we were graded on various different sort of metrics and if you didn't pass then you would be asked to leave the program um, and by like the end of the whole process I think month 12 or so um, yeah you would graduate and uh, you'd be part of this cohort and uh, uh, and uh, it's branded and everything, and you're part of this sort of community now. And there's a lot of help and support from people and graduates and the uh, and the leaders of this program. Mm. And so then, were you doing this um, while you were working? Like you're doing it part time? I know. Uh, so that I, I was I was done already. But oh, okay, yeah, left KPMG. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so then, how did you have the conviction to make that leap? Where you know you're like, you know what, I'm gonna take that leap of faith and go into an accelerator program. Yeah get my team going yeah I, I think uh, at that point I was just thinking about um, like you know like I, I, I knew I wanted to sort of get into tech I wanted to build things I wanted to, to build a business uh, for my own and I knew that like you know if you stayed at the firm mm-hmm. um, most of your hours during the day is working on like you know work right like mm. real professional services work consulting mm. advisory work and cool you can you, you, you might think that you have time to work at night um, on your side project or your, your startup or something like that. Sure, you might have a little bit of time, but like realistically, by the time you get home, you're very tired. You kind of want to eat and rest up, right? And the it, and I like after a while of this, and I realized, hey, this is not possible, right? If I really want to do something, I gotta, I gotta dive all in and mm-hmm. really, really work on it. And in terms of the the risk, sort of the um, the decision for. To jumping into it like I if you, if you think about sort of my professional background at that time right I had a couple years in audit mm-hmm. um, left as a senior a couple years in advisory uh, I was a manager at that time mm-hmm. um, if I had left the firm went to pursue my own project passion project startup whatever it may be if it really failed and I needed a job uh, uh, <laughs> right if I needed to to put food on the table and needed a job I can I could have probably came back Mm-hmm. Right uh, into my original position, mm-hmm. right? Uh, or I could have gone to another firm, get a very similar uh, position at like uh, at any of other big four consulting firms or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's very like um, the services we offer are very similar, mm-hmm. right, across mm-hmm. all the firms. So, um, so the only downside of that time was actually just the loss in revenue or sorry loss in income, right? Mm-hmm. right? Whatever that, whether it's six months, a year, whatever it is, right? That is the only downside of that equation yeah right the upside is 
well, I mean, I, I evaluated, I evaluated the upside as huge at that time, right? I mean, a lot of, a lot of sort of, uh, a lot of confidence in our own um, startup, obviously, but uh, I mean, it failed, so <laughs> it didn't materialize. But like, you know, at that point, you, uh, you evaluate the business as uh, really, really strong, and that's what you needed to sell, right? And you had mm-hmm. to believe it and embody it, right? Mm-hmm. When you pitch to investors and, and people like that. Um, the upside was huge, and also, like, even if it failed, the upside was huge in terms of personal growth and personal learning, right? Mm. Um, this is a time in my life where I could afford to invest time mm-hmm. uh, and money into that, right? Um, before you have a form of family, kids, and things like that, mm-hmm. um, which uh, at that time you have a lot more responsibilities, right? Mm-hmm. Where you need to make sure you bring in income and, and, and put food on the table. Yeah. Right now, I didn't really have that responsibility. And um, in terms of evaluating the risk profile at that point is a lot lower than fast forward, let's say another three years or something like that. Right, right. Yeah, yeah no, I, I, I definitely agree with you uh, 100% in terms of like, even when I left audit to go into consulting, I remember I'd catch up with my audit mentors and mm-hmm. you know, they catch me just throw out, you know, if, if consulting's boring, you can always come back. Yeah. We, we always need more people. Yeah. And yeah, I think that was definitely a theme that uh, is constantly reoccurring in our kind of profession. Um, and yeah, I think the kind of, yeah, and some people say like, oh, it's really risky to leave this kind of job and start a startup. But the way you put it, it yeah, I think it's more, you have some downside, but it's never permanent. Like risk is you mm-hmm. can't, I think, overcome it. Like, there's a permanency to it, but it's more, yeah, I know you lose some income over like six months or a year, but mm-hmm. you have such a higher upside where it's kind of like, you know, heads you win, tails, you don't really lose too much. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, exactly. I think that's a good way to look at it. Um, and. The thing is that you had to look at your career from a, um, what, let's say, what, 40 years? 40 years, I think it's appropriate sort of a span uh, to look at. Um, losing six months within that 40 years is, is nothing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. No, and the upside of that investment, that six-month investment, half a year, is, could potentially be massive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so, you know, you, you talked about how you had a lot of conviction for your startup, and yep. you had all these high hopes for it so yeah. how did the uh what was, what was like your idea like monetization like did you hit sales what was your goal to kind of hit sales like within like six months or how was that whole kind of uh, process like for you yeah so um i i think in, initially it was really just uh, uh validation from eaters that we really needed right uh-huh. from customers um restaurants yeah we 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 went door by door talking to restaurants and restaurants are all very sold uh, on our on our sort of idea and the monetization, uh, sort of the, the, the structure that we were trying to sell at. Mm-hmm. All the restaurants were, were pretty eager about that. They didn't mm-hmm. really have a problem. Really? Um, it was really the eaters, right? At the end of the day, if you think of the product, who is the main user of the product? And it's, it's the eaters and the customers. Mm-hmm. Um, they, we really needed to see traction from their end, right? Mm-hmm. Um, before we're able to do anything, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I think that's really where we thought we had uh, found something that people wanted, but once you sort of tested with, uh, and so and, and we ran focus groups and all that sort of stuff, and, and everyone said, yeah, we want this, we want this, but like if I were to do this again, mm. I think you'd really just start with real world people who you don't know and build the product and just see if they use it or not, right? Um, because people all like the idea of like getting promos and just hands and things like that. But sometimes, or ma- many cases, convenience uh, was just like the, the strongest factor, right? Mm. And you might think like, okay, cool, I want to get 50% off something. But 
that's slightly farther away from what's just downstairs. I'm just gonna do the downstairs approach, mm. right? Um, yeah, we just we just found that like through different use cases, right? Once you put it on the test market, you actually see the how the marketplace reacts to this to this new tool, mm-hmm. um, and it, the the value proposition just wasn't strong enough. I think what we found some traction was with students mm-hmm. in the Ryerson community, where students kind of uh, use it a bit more. They're more price sensitive, right? right. But in the financial district, uh, less so, right? I think. Um, we had a lot of like drink offers and stuff on the, on our platform as well. Yeah. Uh, we thought, okay, you know, people go for drinks after work, right? They want to find where the happy hours are. Um, turns out, like, and, and we should have known this. Like, I mean, I, I worked for these companies. Um, the firms sort of sponsor a lot of these uh, happy hours and, and uh, team drinks and things like that, right? Right. Um, they don't really care about where like where where the discounts are and things mm-hmm. like that. So they just sort of go to the whatever's the closest or whatever the the atmosphere is the best or, or what they're most uh, and then people are like humans are, are, are creatures of habit as well right mm-hmm. they like to go to their regular water holes right yeah. even if it's just at full price so um, once you put it out in the market you can actually see the use cases and the use cases weren't that weren't that much mm-hmm. um, so uh, that's where we really sort of struggled with finding that product market fit mm-hmm. and you know now you've been operating it for about nine months and there comes a point where you know I think a lot of people, yeah, there's like that some cost fallacy where do I continue on with this or do mm-hmm. I kind of come, cut my losses short and yeah. move on? What what was the determining factor when you, you and your team decided, hey, guys, let's just yeah. cut it and go? Uh, I think, yeah, yeah, exactly. I think some cost is like how you need to look at this, right? Yeah. Cool, the time you invested in it, it's time that's gone. You can't get it back, right? Yeah. Um, uh, so, I mean, you, you shouldn't look at the time you invested there. In terms of money you invested, same thing. You should look at a sunk cost. Um, for us, we didn't invest too much, right? Because we have the skills and talent to actually build the, the app and the technology in-house, mm. right? Uh, both Al and Greg both could code, and they they were the sort of the architects of this, of the product, and yeah, we didn't have to, have to spend so much money on on external like engineering firms or uh, or app developing agencies and things like that. So the cost was really just our time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we, in terms of the decision to cut your losses is really to okay okay like at that point what do you believe is the future value of, of this right mm-hmm. what is the future expected value um and you could sort of reevaluate that every month by month right some month it, your expectation the probability sort of increases because you see traction mm-hmm. some some months you sort of see the probability decrease because a loss of traction for example let's say retention is not great churn yeah. is high right yeah so there's always always this dial right and you just got to keep on sort of having a pulse on this dial and where the probability dial goes really, really low, um, yeah, then I mean, like, what, like, reevaluate, like, if you if you knew this at the time and when you started, would you have gone all in, mm. right? And if no, then you should be at the same position, right? Because there's infinite problems that you can pursue and like interesting challenges and and new startups ideas out there, right? Uh, if this compared to your next best alternative is, is not uh, uh, like as, as the, the, the value the probability of success and the expected value of like the, 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 the expected value of success is lower than your next best alternative then mm-hmm. I think that uh, you can try to think about like doing something else mm-hmm. yeah. and so then did you have that ahead of time set where you kind of had a benchmark where you know if if retention rates hit at least this amount for like long period of time I think we're done or 
Uh, no, we, we didn't have that set because, I mean, going into it, we don't know what the market retention rate is supposed to be, right? Like, mm-hmm. what is the retention rate or the churn and the churn rate of a product like this? Mm-hmm. We didn't know that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you kind of just got to do it and then see what the rates are. And then mm-hmm. do you believe it? Like, because with churn rates and retention rates, you can kind of quickly see, right? If you're, if you're getting 10 people and you're losing eight of them the next month, you only got two in the long run, right? Mm-hmm. And is two in the long run like it's especially and you, you look at frequency of transaction um revenue per transaction project it out man like this is not going to be a big business in the future mm-hmm. then like why bother right mm-hmm. um if if you if your churn is only one person out of ten then you got nine people and you do the math does it make more sense if it makes sense to keep going mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so you know now you're kind of at the point where uh you're at the fork in the road where okay I have to say, what what are the opportunities you're gonna weigh yourself weigh these options against as like the opportunity costs? Um, what was going on in your mind at that point? Yeah. Um, uh, well, yeah. I mean, so so what? Yeah, so it's looking at other opportunities, right? Yeah. Um, at that point, you know, explore lots of different potential jobs or um, school or like MBA and things like that, right? Uh-huh. Um, and I mean, it's sort of a blanket approach, right? You kind of like. Uh, Let's let's test all of them, right? Like apply to different things, right? And then you see see what what comes back, mm-hmm. and then what type of offers you have, and then you can value your your next best option, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so then you know now you're at Uber Eats, and you know, there's definitely that tie with Uber Eats and what you're doing at Chop Chop. They're both in the food industry. Yeah. Is, did you want to stay in the food industry? With the, like, is that some big interest of yours? Um, I think I, I think uh, Uber is really where where I want to be. Um, um, you know massive growth story here right mm-hmm. um uh, big tech like I, I really wanted to like from talking to people at uber i understood that it's a big company but had a small company feel right mm-hmm. and 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 the toronto business sort of um well, there was a toronto office first of all right like a like an office here that had a lot of people and uh um could really sort of have the autonomy to run the business so um it one of one of my very close friends uh, spoke to her about uh, this opportunity and she really sold me on it so I was really pumped about that mm. in terms of eats uh, specifically I think that uh, my background if you think about it, rewinding back a little bit it's infrastructure uh, advisory right? I did a lot mm-hmm. of transportation related work as well mm. in that field and then if you think about my experience working with restaurants in the food tech space right food tech plus sorry well yeah food tech plus uh transportation that's pretty much like uber plus eats right mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. uh pretty natural fit yeah know, from that perspective it's like a puzzle fitting right there yeah. it's as if you planned it all out yeah exactly <laughs> it's and so you know like now you know now you're at uber eats and you know before you were an operations logistics manager and now you're the market lead for vancouver so congrats on that promotion um, uh no i still still an operations manager just like okay. sort of different focus yeah okay so um in terms of then like what you do on a day-to-day basis like if if you were to take me through what what the life is like in big tech mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. can you walk me through your day yesterday like take me through like you know the time you woke up mm-hmm. the time you mm-hmm. got to the office and you know you you don't have to share as the details that yeah. are not allowed to be shared mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. yeah just take me through what what's like the full day from the time you woke up to the time you go to bed of what it's like to yeah. be an office manager. I mean, uh, the the waking up and the going to bed part is that's pretty normal <laughs> with any company i think i think uh you know standard working hours right like uh uh once you get out of the office i think it's just 
checking emails, checking some dashes and metrics to make sure that, you know, business is, is doing okay. Uh, tons of meetings, uh, always a lot of meetings. There's, there's different projects that we're working on to move the business forward. So, um, yeah, like syncing with different sort of um, internal business partners, like external stakeholders on various projects that we're working on. It's a very, like, uh, um, very collaborative process and, and, and a team that we have here. So we love jamming on, on projects and talking about strategy and building execution plans together, which is, which is great. Um, I think that uh, uh, that sort of brings the best out, out of all of us, sort of healthy debates and really, really coming with the best solution in terms of moving forward. Um, you know, mornings, meetings, and then lunch. Lunch is great. We have, uh, we have catered lunches here. Uh, and so uh, that's true about Big Tech. You know, we have the snacks and the, the lunch. Uh, at the ping pong table, right? <laughs> uh, that's definitely part of it. I didn't play ping pong yesterday. Uh, <laughs> that was that was not part of the day. Uh, and in the afternoon, you know, again, just 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 more more meetings, more more sync ups, and uh, um, uh, sort of uh, we we have uh, we have a couple of interns uh, with us this summer, so um, sessions with them, mentoring, coaching, um, and in the afternoon we actually had a uh, team social uh where with the whole office we went into a jays game uh which is uh, oh wow fun. Yeah. nice mm-hmm. and so then you know um when back in my buy side days when we look at companies we like to look at the segment like for example if um coca-cola has multiple revenue income segments for their business right like they'll earn x amount on beverages x amount on um like tea for example mm-hmm. if we put that segmentization to your job mm-hmm and use like the percentage of time you would allocate right. to different activities, how would you segmentize it? Um, I, I would say like, if you just look at like sort of categories of what I do, I think um, mm-hmm. probably pretty evenly sort of third to third to third across the spectrum of um, like planning, strategy, planning, that kind of work, mm-hmm. right? Um, a third being sort of execute, executing, right? mm-hmm. like sending the emails, building the, the models and dashes and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a third being sort of inbound stuff, right? There's uh, our business is live, right? We have people, uh, partners, we have uh, um, restaurants and eaters out in the marketplace, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's a live marketplace, so we need to deal with inbounds as they come in, right? Mm-hmm. So um, you don't know any given day, there's sort of... Uh, uh, tons of potential things that sort of come in and we've got to deal with. So right. a third, a third, a third across those spectrum, that was it. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, you talked about how, like, for example, yesterday you had a lot of different meetings and so are, even when you split these things up to a third, a third, a third, like strategy and planning, for example, is that all mostly in meeting sessions where you are generally most of the time in a group setting and you're working things out together or are you kind of sitting down by yourself and figuring things out, one presentation and then go back to the thing by yourself? Yeah, it's usually in a, group environment okay um we just have so many uh internal and external stakeholders mm. right we want to make sure that all the right voices are at the table mm. to make sure that we have all our bases covered mm. all the uh considerations are um sort of at the table and that we can well consider them and, and deal with them and address them as mm. appropriate um because we want to we don't want to make uh, we don't want to solve problems in silos right because uh, there's a lot of potential for holes that way. Mm-hmm. And then when you're at, at these kind of meetings, and um, how does the decision-making process work? Is it full democracy or? Uh, no, I mean there's 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 different ways, right? Like I mean right. there there's uh, um, I I don't think it's uh, I don't think democracy is the right way uh, to, to put it. Like people are there to put their input into problems, right? Mm-hmm. Um, to voice 
inputs and we have healthy debates but I don't uh, it's not there's no voting process right it's it's just very like um, there's project owners right and mm-hmm. uh, we just make sure that we're gonna balance everybody's uh, thoughts and generations and come up with a decision after that okay and you know let's say you have your strategy session and then um, you guys decide to take one approach in a project together um, then do you split up the duties and you go back and now you personally execute on them or would you delegate it out to some other people yeah a combination of both I think I own a lot of the execution pieces of it okay and there's definitely other people on the project team that uh, that uh, that uh, we have sort of delegated duties, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because like, I think, you know, when we think back to, for example, our big four days, mm-hmm. the term when people say, oh, you're a manager, you mm-hmm. generally have seniors and staffs and a bunch of people that they'll delegate stuff off to. Right. For, you, for you here, like, you know, you have the title of manager, would you say that you end up actually doing a lot of the work itself? Oh, 100%. I think that uh, here, first of all, like, um, our, all our teams um, across whatever level, uh, your, your title has right. Um, everyone lean uh, sort of really leans in and pitches in to help mm-hmm. us move the business forward. Um, there's it's, we have a very flat hierarchy system here um, across again across all levels. People really put in the effort to execute on projects as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so then, if um, if you were to give me a rating of the amount of autonomy you feel that you have over what you do, how you schedule your day, for example. Um, in the rating scale of one to 10, 10 being a results only work environment where the entire team is remote, doesn't matter mm-hmm. where you are, you have to focus on the results. Mm-hmm. One being good old like investment banking, you gotta sit there until 4 p.m. when your work actually begins and right. you start working then. Right. Where would you rank um, your autonomy? And you can't pick seven. Yeah, so sort of which what one is what ten is what? The ten is complete um, autonomy. Yeah, autonomy. And um, like close yeah, I down. think uh, in my current capacity, I mean, this obviously differs across like your role and your responsibilities. Right. Uh, in my current capacity, I would say I would be at like a nine, nine point five. Mm. Yeah. Nice, and you know, so far um, as you've worked here for I think close past just past a year now, yeah, right? Yeah, just past a year. Yeah. Yeah. Congrats on that. Um, but. Yeah, like given what you've learned in the whole kind of each industry as you go by, um, what are some things that you noticed while you're working here that you never noticed from like the outside, even when you're like a customer, um, right. even when you were at Chop Chop, like was something where you like, well, I didn't know this was a big issue in the industry, like this kind of inefficiency existed. Right. Um, um, I, I don't think it's like inefficiency. I think it's just observations. Like, I mean, I think any company, right? Yeah. Uh, for that matter, like, uh, how well you see it from inside or you see it from outside is very different, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, for, for Uber, Uber Eats particularly, I think that, look, you have to remember that we're like, a, we have a, like a real marketplace out in the world, right? Mm. Um, we, we connect people, mm-hmm. right? Um, and these individuals are in the real world uh, and there's real life uh, transactions and interactions happening, mm-hmm. right? So it, there's tons of things that can just pop up and occur through mm-hmm. these interactions, right? Unlike some other big tech companies, if you think about it, like say, uh, let's say Google, right? Uh, when you do a search, you go do a Google search, cool. Like that's between you and the computer and the servers, right? right? right. It's like a, that, that's sort of the extent of the interaction, right? And then yeah. well, obviously you can click through images and maps and stuff like that, right? But like you, that's kind of like the the interface and the environment you're dealing with, right? Right. Um, from Facebook perspective, right? Again, like big tech, right? Uh, you can connect, you can talk to people, right? This is all within this like platform, right? And there's no like actual people physically engaging or interacting with 
people. You mean、mm. like in the real life, like, right? Like physically beside each other, right? right? Yeah. So,、uh, like, sure, yeah, on Facebook Messenger, I can message you.、Um, we're interacting, but we're not beside each other, right? Versus in the Uber and Uber Eats world, right? There's people、um, moving around in the physical space, right?、Mm-hmm. And there's tons of、uh, these sort of things that can pop up, right?、Mm-hmm. And、uh, very, very interesting problems that we want, well, that we have a team here to sort of tackle and solve, right?、Mm-hmm. So.、Um, I think that's sort of one of the big, dif- biggest difference, right? You gotta make sure, cool, we're using an app, but like there's actually physical people interacting with each other.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember like when we were having a phone phone chat one time. I think we might have met in person, but you were telling me about how we had like a snowstorm in Toronto, and you know, given we're in Canada, that's gonna be quite frequent. And、mm-hmm. you were saying how、um, no, like you had to be like all hands on deck for that because yeah, we had impacting yeah. delivery routes and stuff. And I just never thought about that.、Um, yeah, yeah, I think yeah, that's a key example, right? Like, I mean. When snow falls on the ground, right? Yeah. That impacts the real physical world, and then we have again partners、uh, out in the real world,、uh, engaging sort of with our business, right? Like, those are things that we need to sort of tackle and deal with, right? So, mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, how how would you tackle if you were to run do like that kind of example? How would I would? How would you tackle that kind of problem? Do you guys all kind of Start calling individual partners or telling people what to do. Do you send out like a news announcement? Like what right, goes right. on? I mean, so there's definitely tons of different type of levers、uh, that we、uh, that we can pull and different uh, uh, sort of、um, strategies and methods that we we, we can engage with.、Uh, um, the specifics I'll leave out of the the, the conversation here. Right. But.、Uh, Yeah, like there's. I mean, at the end of the day, if you think about what the problem is, the demand and supply problems, right?、Mm-hmm. So how how do we sort of、uh, pull levers to make sure demand and supply are balanced、mm-hmm. and to bring that back to equilibrium? Where in the real world, it's sort of an acceptable sort of level of equilibrium, right?、Mm-hmm. Because again, this these are all things that impact people in the real world. So prices and and, and physical.、Uh, Physical proximity, speed—all of these things are sort of impacted as soon as snow falls. So we would need to sort of rebalance that. Okay, and for you then,、um, is that a lot of just communicating with vendors and、um, things like that, or is it? Yeah, that's definitely that. Yeah, ton, ton, tons of stuff we can do there.、Uh, I mean, we are a three-seater marketplace, right? So we would have we we、um, eaters are our customers, our our driver partners, delivery partners are our customers, and、uh, mm-hmm. and restaurant partners are also our customers, right?、Mm-hmm, so we need、mm-hmm. to. Um, interact with all three sides to make sure we can get something to work.、Mm. Okay, and so now you know, I'm I'm a customer of Uber Eats. Like I use I use use use、uh, you guys quite frequently, but、um, I find sometimes when I use use Uber Eats, drivers will deliver the food,、mm. and so they can't park at my location, so they can't deliver it up to my place. Is that something you guys are working on to、uh, work on as a problem? Yeah, I mean, yeah. So so.、Um, Uh, parking is definitely uh, sort of uh, a re- again real world problem, right?、Yeah. Uh, people people try to、uh, find parking、uh, as needed with、uh, with different traffic laws, different traffic rules across all our markets around the world, right? right? Like you, you you have to think that we have so many different variations of rules and 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 sort of like the size of cars, right? Some of the markets we have.、Uh, Well, like motorbikes, right? Right.、Um, some places have bicycles, right? So right. bicycles parking is not that big of a deal, right? right? Not that big of a challenge, right? So yeah, we're working across all of those、uh, platforms to make sure that we can get our eaters the the best experience as possible.、Uh, all right. Okay. I'll I'll hope for、uh, more updates on that than、yeah. and having more potentially bicycle people delivering my stuff.、Um, but yeah, and so then you know, given 
you've taken, I would say, quite quite a unique kind of career path. Mm-hmm. You started out in audit, and the typical path is someone just becomes like a controller mm-hmm. and stays there until they yep. die. Um, but you've traversed and found somewhere that you know you've definitely found yourself to be like enjoying. And but I think it goes without saying that there are times when shit gets real, shit gets really scary. Mm-hmm. And for you, what has been the moment where it's it just seems super challenging and made you kind of doubt the kind of decisions you might have made um, and you're just kind of you know, scared shit. Um, right, so I mean, uh, I mean, not, if, if you work in a, like a corporate environment and like even, even, even within the company I work in now, like I mean, I don't think things really uh, get you out of control. Like I think things are pretty, pretty, pretty okay. I, I think it's really when you work in your own startup, so when I worked, uh, when I when I worked as Chop Chop, right? I think mm-hmm. that's really where um, uh, it can be pretty stressful, right? Because you're running mm-hmm. your own business with three partners, uh, no one's earning an income or salary, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's when there's a lot more stress and pressure, right? So, mm-hmm. um, I mean, sorry, your question was how we how do we deal with this, or or like just kind of um, a specific moment that you had that you remember as being like, yeah, like, that was the time when. It's right. extremely challenging, and you're just. I, I think I think yeah, th- th- things are challenging, but I don't think I was ever like freaking out about anything. Yeah. Like um, you go into these things with expectations of the outcomes, right? Mm-hmm. Like you calculate the expected value of the outcome, low probability, high potential, monetary value or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, cool, but you go in knowing that the probability of success is super super low, mm-hmm. right? If you are properly primed and properly set your own expectations then I don't think uh, like it's a surprise six months later if the business isn't uh, working out that well right mm-hmm. like you, I mean you try to do everything in your capacity and 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 power to try to make it a success right follow the playbook you build all these things right you read a lot you talk to a lot of industry players you do a lot of market research you talk to a lot of customers and you work very very hard many hours in the day right but like that's sort of the the input that you got to put in, right? But then afterwards, like, I, like what I'm saying is that you can't just blindly go in and think, oh, this is gonna be, uh, I'm gonna kill it. This is this is it. This is this uh, company is gonna um, be like super super successful for sure, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so knowing the expectations going in, I mean, never really got that uh, crazy or never that serious. I think all of the co-founders were all very reasonable. Uh, people who went in with the same attitude and same mindset, mm-hmm. but we evaluated, reevaluated at every checkpoint of milestone. Mm-hmm. So we were all like kind of abreast of what's happening in the situation and and the, and the business, right? So not no no particularly. Uh, oh my goodness, uh, this is in the world sort of situations. Right, right. Yeah, and and I think um, though I think sometimes I think the kind of approach that you have is not as common. Uh, I think a lot of people. There's definitely cases where people are in the extremes of this. This is gonna, this is gonna work. Just gonna push harder at it. It's gonna work, or it's just, it's just never gonna work. I'm too afraid. I'm just not gonna do anything. And so for you, like, is there is there something that you believe personally that you think kind of goes against what the conventional wisdom might believe, and it's kind of been helpful for you in terms of guiding what you chose to do and your decision making. Right. Um, against conventional wisdom, I think. Uh, it's just more, I, I mean, it, yeah, I, I think like, for example, if, if you think about like people's career pathing and things like that, right, you, you go into sort of your, you go to university, you study a field, you go into uh, that 
and try, you try to get a job in that undergrad field, right, or, or master's here or whatever, mm-hmm. um, you know, build some competencies and proficiencies there. Um, and then within our, like, you know, like within the generation, I think people sort of look at two or three years as sort of a time, timeline that to get uh, to get experience here and then jump to the next role and the next role, right? Um, preferably up, I guess, right? Mm. Um, and you try to stick with these sort of safe environments that, you know, that like you can just sort of climb the corporate ladder, right? Mm. I feel like if that is what convention is, I, I feel that uh, that might not be the best approach, right? I think within that, especially earlier on the lifestyle, I think we talked about this earlier in this session, is that like, hey, take some risks, right? Like, um, you're, you're young, you can probably afford like half a year off doing something pretty crazy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the result of that something crazy could be uh, pretty really good in terms of like financial success, or it can just be super valuable from a self-growth learning Right, like mm-hmm. I mean, some people you don't need to start a business to start a, to start a startup, right? Not not everybody wants to be an entrepreneur, but you can go do you know the whole travel thing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, to get just open, broaden your like sort of uh, horizon and lens and and um, just just be more um, just gain more knowledge and experience through different things, right? So like take take risks earlier on, right? Mm-hmm. And you don't need to just climb every two years climb a rung up the ladder, right? Mm-hmm. You can even you can even climb horizontally. I think that's another thing that people are scared of, right? They don't want to move horizontally. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's nothing wrong with horizontal because yeah, getting that breadth of experience and aggregating the skill set, it's all about experiences, right? Aggregating skill sets and experiences from breadth of field. Um, once you sum all of that, like, I mean, in in, um, in finance, you have, like, the sum of all parts, right? Right. Sum all that together, you're, you're going to go way higher than uh, where someone could have just climbed slowly rung by rung. Right? Mm-hmm. And so for you, uh, do you think your risk appetite has decreased than you than before, given your current position, or, or do you still think that you still have that kind of a high risk tolerance with uh, you? Uh, yeah, I think um, I I think the risk risk tolerance is still the same. Like yeah. I mean, uh, maybe in a couple of years, probably might decrease, right? It, I think this a lot, a lot of it uh, comes with family situations, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, like I think having children in your life is is uh, uh, is sort of one of the biggest, biggest uh, uh, factors of that, right? So um, right now, I think the risk profile is still the same, uh, but um, really, uh, it's more sort of like taking those risks within the company now, right? Mm-hmm. I'm really enjoying what I do here, and I think there's tons of opportunities here yeah, mm-hmm. to grow. And you know, if if um, if you were to think back, and if you were to imagine your twenty-year-old self, you know, like thinking. Young Ian, like third year university, mm-hmm. if he were to see where you are at now, mm-hmm. what do you think his reaction would be? Do you think it'd be surprise? Um, it's like completely different from what you'd expect it to be at your current age, or uh, not really? Honestly, yeah? I think it's probably pretty much exactly where, uh, yeah, where where I I thought I would sort of end up. Um, I think step one was professional services, right? Right. Uh, it can be sort of you know like accounting financial advisory, consulting, banking, right? Some things are to develop structure and build those competencies, right? Right. That we really need, that structural thinking uh, that comes with, like, client service, right? Um, and then from then on, it's like, yeah, it's to, to build and grow business, right? I think that's what I've always wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, yeah, obviously, there's no, I would be at Uber, right, per se, but uh, some sort of company growing, whether it's my own, right? or a smaller startup, medium-sized startup, large startup, or mm-hmm. even a corporate. 
um, like a mega corporate company. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think this is pretty much exactly where I thought I'd be. Yeah. Oh, that's kind of a Nostradamus of your own future. Well, I mean, it's just I. I mean, who who knows exactly? Like thinking now, that's what I thought. But like back then, yeah, I I, I think. I think it's very difficult to predict where where you want to be, but like you can definitely sort of uh, make conscious decisions, like right, like plan like five years out. I know these days five years is a long time, but plan five years out and kind of think about where you want to be and tr- like make conscious efforts of like try to get yourself there. Yeah, no, definitely, and I think um, even making that thought, having that thought process of you know where you actually want to end up in like five or ten years yeah. actually help inherently helps you make certain decisions yeah. that will guide you to that. Um, area yeah for sure and so then um, you know for you as like parting advice if you were to give advice to 20 year olds um, could have been at the end of their third year or other 20 year olds what kind of Mm -hmm. advice would you give Uh, yeah I think it's just uh, you know uh, finish program uh, start off somewhere where you can build some competencies right Mm -hmm. Um, I feel that uh, coming out of university like we have the knowledge but we don't have the practical experience Mm -hmm. right uh, starting at large companies really gives us the structure. Uh, and like like large companies have have, have uh, programs and processes in place to make sure that we do things uh, by the book, right? Mm. And by the structure that they've set out. And that structure is super helpful, right? That's why they became big companies because um, they had a good process and structure of doing things, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, build your competencies there, and then just don't be afraid to take risks after that, right? Like no know your uh be confident in what you can and can't do uh take the most appropriate risks and those risks usually lead to something uh pr- pretty awesome all right great yeah. thanks a lot Ian. thanks a lot for your time and yeah. i really do hope uh the audience appreciates the wise words of wisdom that you shared with us today yeah thanks thanks very much for having me daniel no problem so thanks for listening to the podcast If you enjoyed what you heard, please check out other episodes and don't forget to subscribe to stay up to date for the future episodes. Also, I would really appreciate it if you would leave a review on iTunes, Google Play or Stitcher, whichever is applicable to you. To see past episodes, you can go to oldmandan.com slash podcasts. Also, you can sign up to my weekly newsletter on my blog, oldmandan.com slash newsletter. You can stay up to date with future podcast episodes that way and included in the newsletter are my book reviews I write, my weekly article in the related to the domain of self-development systems, as well as seven things I learned throughout the week on being healthy, wealthy, and wise. Finally, special thanks to icons8.com for allowing me to use their music, Tiny People, on the podcast. Great. I will see you all next time. Take care.